Welcome to episode number 177 of the Pioneering Today podcast. And you guys, we are in for a treat on today's episode. We're going to be talking about using herbal medicine, so natural medicine, and specifically that we're going to cover others. We're going to be talking about fire cider. Fire cider is a long-held, old-fashioned remedy that is used to boost the immune system and to help with upper respiratory, I should say to help aid the upper respiratory system. And one of its beautiful things and properties about it is you can pretty much make it at home, meaning you can grow all of the ingredients at home. You can absolutely make it at home. So it's one of the things that you don't really have to go and find any specialty spices or herbs or ingredients in order to make it, but it is a powerhouse. Today's guest, so we are talking about fire cider and other natural herbal remedies and not just the fire cider, but also something really important where we have the long history and foundation of herbal medicine and the traditional uses and recipes and where we are in our modern society that we have got companies and big business seeing that and coming in and trying to trademark the names and recipes of these long-held traditional items. So we're going to talk about that today in depth, as well as herbal medicine and some of these favorite remedies, making them and different ingredients and using them with your family, and also how to recognize if these certain things are going to be a good fit to use medicinally for you or not. So it is a jam-packed episode. So much good stuff. You're going to love it. And I have a special guest, and I am a little bit fangirling out. I am so excited to introduce you to her. You probably already know about her. But if not, my guest today is Rosemary Gladstar. Now, Rosemary is considered really one of the pioneers in herbalism and natural medicine to, for today. She has been practicing, living, learning, teaching, and writing about herbs for over 45 years. Her book, Medicinal Herbs, A Beginner's Guide to Herbal Remedies, that was the very first herbal book that I ever got back in the day when I started researching and learning more about herbs and using them in our home. She's actually the author of over 12 books. That's the one that I have, including Gladstar Herbal Recipes for Vibrant Well-Being, and her newest book is Herbal Healing for Men. She does the author and director of Popular Home Study Courses. And we will be linking in the show notes for today. So the blog post that goes with this, you are going to want to make sure you visit it. And you can get there by going to melissaknorris.com forward slash 177, because this is episode number 177. But we will actually have links there where you can go. The download guide for this episode is going to have walking you through the recipe to make your own fire cider at home as well as the medicinal properties and why each of the components that are used in there is chosen, and then ways that you can adapt it, including my personal adaptation of this recipe and the one that we use in our home so that you can get started and get going with it right away. Rosemary also co-founded and was former director of the New England's Women's Herbal Conference. She's the founding president of United Plant Savers and was the co-founder and original formulator of traditional medicine tea company. She recently moved from her home at Sage Mountain 
which is an herbal retreat center and botanical sanctuary where she had lived, taught, and worked for the past 30 years to a smaller haven where she plants a small garden, dreams more, does less, and spends more time with the plants. So, you guys, this has been an amazing interview. I am so excited to share it with you, and I hope that you will get as excited as I am. And we've got some pretty awesome resources, again, that you can get at the show notes. So without further ado, let us dive into today's episode. You guys are in for an amazing treat today. I am thrilled to introduce you to Rosemary Gladstar. Rosemary, thank you so much for coming on the Pioneering Today podcast and sharing with us today. Thanks, Melissa. I'm delighted too to just be sharing with you and your friends out there. Yeah, I am so excited. As you guys know, I am a really big fan of Rosemary's because she is the first and she didn't know it, as I'm sure is going to be the case. Rosemary, you probably will find this a lot, but she was my first unofficial mentor in walking into using natural medicine and herbs. Her book was the very first one that I bought when I first went down this journey. And so I'm just thrilled to be able to get to talk with you in person and hopefully introduce you to others who are looking to take that path down to doing natural medicine and taking just control of their healthcare and doing things in their home and garden that benefits their family. So thank you for all of the work that you have done over the decades with bringing herbal medicine and that knowledge back to the mainstream. Sort of been my mission is in life anything that I plotted out, but it just sort of seemed to plot me out. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. One of the things that I want to talk about that has been one of my favorite things that we added to our natural medicine arsenal, I have to say, and I get a lot of reader interest and questions about it, is fire cider. Oh, yeah. Fire cider. Boy. <laughs> yes. It's a topic of mine these days. Yeah. Yes. With fire cider, so for somebody who's listening and they're like, I have no idea what fire cider is, (laughs) do you want to go over what fire cider is and its purpose in the home? Yeah, I think these days, fire cider is many things to many people. Basically, it's a really simple household recipe, and it was developed in the late 1970s and at the California School of Herbal Studies, which is a little herb school still going on that I had started way back in the 1974 something. This recipe, like many others, was just designed to be something that people could quickly make up at home from inexpensive ingredients that you didn't really even have to go to an herb store because back in those days, herb stores were rare and far between. But you could just go to your grocery store and the items that were used in this formula were really simple and readily available. Where I was living at that time, which was on the Russian River in Northern California, it was really cold and damp. People got lots of colds and bronchial problems and just circulation issues. And so our intent in making this formula was something that was warm and decongesting and could be used as a tonic, which would be like an everyday food and also as a medicine. So it was kind of a crossover. You could take it every day. And then if you started to get a cold, you could take it and would really help mobilize your immune system. And it was just many different recipes. I'm not even sure that it was particularly special, except that Because of its simplicity of making and the ingredients were really common, it became very popular and it sort of developed a life of its own and went out into the world. But quite simply, before we get to that part of the story, I would would just sum it up and say that fire cider is unique in the sense that it's 
made from common everyday ingredients that you can go and get at the supermarket or grow in your garden even. And it's both a tonic and a medicine. It's very effective for warming the body, for mobilizing the immune system, just for giving you a shot of energy. You know, it's made with hot, fiery ingredients. Yeah, it's fun and it's pretty tasty. I mean, for people who aren't used to herbs, like we think it's really, really tasty. And I've had people who are completely novice go, ooh, this stuff is hot or not so good tasting. But generally, most people really like the flavor, which is in part, I think, why it became so popular. Yeah, I know that what I loved when I first came upon it is, like you said, it was mainly things that I already had growing in the garden or I could make on the homestead. And the cider part is from apple cider vinegar, if anybody's listening and they're not sure. And we make our own apple cider vinegar here from our apple scraps and that type of thing. And so I was thrilled because, like you said, I didn't have to go and purchase any special ingredients. And I'm always a really big fan of if I can grow all of the ingredients at home or make them at home, like to me, it's just like a super big win. And, and I love too, that you can customize it with any herbal thing, but it's easy to swap out for whatever peppers that you might have on hand and that type of thing. But what thrilled me is I live in the Pacific Northwest, so I totally get damp (laughs) and cold. Oh my goodness. And my husband he, I, so I am like the natural herbal pusher in our family. And he's always a little bit more skeptical, but he's willing to try things, but he'll definitely tell me like, no, I don't like that. Or I didn't think that that worked or, you know, like, so we've had this very honest, honest communication between us on those things. And I know that. So, which I actually really do appreciate because then I know if he's skeptical and he will begrudgingly use it and he has to be like really not feeling well before he'll try it. (laughs) So then he'll try it. And if he's like, oh my goodness, like I really did feel a difference or feel that that really helped. Then I'm like, okay, I know this is it. Like I know I've got it. So I really do like that. And he has weak lungs. Actually, he had pneumonia as a teenager and it weakened his lungs. So anytime he gets a cold, it really settles in his upper respiratory system. So I made fire cider and I'd been trying to get him to try it for months. And then he finally got a cold that really took hold in that upper respiratory. And I'm like, try it, just try it. And so he tried it. He was really surprised at how effective it was. And of course, I'm like doing the happy victory dance, trying not to say I told you so, because that's not nice. But yeah, it really is effective. And I love that you can make it at home. And guys, for those of you listening, you can go to the show notes, of course, to get the blog post that goes with this whole episode. And that'll be at melissaknorris.com forward slash 177. And I will have my adaptation of Rosemary's Fire Cider available for you there. So you'll be able to get the exact ingredients for the way that I make mine. And of course, there's, there's different ways that you can do that. With the fire cider, and I honestly did not realize that it only had really that you guys had done it and it was in the 1970s because it's really taken a hold, especially in the natural medicine and herbal and minded community. And it's really become a big thing. And that's pretty good for just like 40 years. I thought it had went back, had its roots much further back. So that's really fascinating. Well, I would say that it does have its roots way back. A long history goes back to Hippocrates of people using apple cider vinegar for help. And we had some very famous formulas. There was the Dr. Christopher formula back in the 70s. Well, actually, I would say 60s and 70s. It was apple cider vinegar and cayenne. Dr. Christopher, who was one of my teachers and a very well-known herbalist and elder, 
who taught many people of my generation. He was just in love with cayenne. He was, we used to call him the cayenne king. And so one of his favorite famous tonics was just apple cider vinegar and cayenne. And then Hippocrates used, has been noted as the father of modern medicine, which I always think is so amusing because he was completely a simpler. He used herbal herbs totally, but kind of a far cry from our modern medicine. But I do love that they consider him the father. Most of his herbal remedies were done in apple cider vinegar and honey. They were called oxymills. And he pretty much, I mean, he had other remedies that he used, but his oxymills were probably his most famous. And then I think the more currently in the like 1950s, Dr. Jarvis, who was a very famous medical doctor in Vermont, he got to studying the folk medicine here because he was feeling like modern medicine by itself wasn't really helping the local people as much as it should. And he went back to the local people, the farmers and the elders to ask them about their medicine. And he found out that apple cider vinegar and honey was a very famous remedy here. And so in this area in the Northeast. And so he wrote a book called The Vermont Folk Medicine that became, at that time, again, this was in the 50s and the 60s, became like a, a really bestseller in its general. We see a lot of these vinegar recipes and then we just find it kind of a slowing down of all things natural after World War II. It was like anything that was natural, natural food and herbs, and it was kind of left by the wayside for a short time, thank goodness. And then it was around the 60s again, really, I would say, in the birth of that whole hippie revolution when that Back to the Earth movement began again. That time that I was beginning my herbal career, and I was really in love with vinegar tinctures, actually, which is really what fire cider is, but I just couldn't generate enough interest in the vinegar tinctures, except for this one, the fire cider. To say that it was just came out of my head in that period is wrong because everything that we do is in herbal remedies is based on a long tradition. I would really almost go as far as to say is that there's very little new. It's all borrowed. It's all handed down and passed down information that really doesn't belong to us. It's ours to use and to share. And so this particular recipe really manifests that. You know, it's based on ancient history and it was just this configuration of these particular herbs that made it unique. And the reason it became famous isn't so much that it is a good formula and exactly for the reasons that we said, it's very user-friendly, easy to make. It can be almost cost nothing to make if you grow those herbs and make your own cider vinegar. I mean, you're talking about highly effective free medicine, so that's great. But really, there are many, many herbal formulas, some that I created and other herbalists created that are also as good. But this one became very famous because it also became kind of the poster child for the trademark issue of trademarking traditional herbal formulas that have had a long history here being four decades of use, or some that have had been in use for 500 years, like Four Thieves Vinegar or you know other ones that are very old. So partly why it became so famous is because it became a very political issue. And there's been a huge amount on social media and in newspapers all around the country about what's happening with the traditional remedies, traditional herbal remedies. So did I make that clear? Is that, did I, was yeah. that? Yeah, no, you really did. And I'm really glad that you brought up this point because honestly, that's one of the reasons that I reached out to you because I saw a article on firesider and trademarking and just all of this stuff. And I thought, oh my goodness, like, People need to know about this. One, 
I always try to look at a bad situation and find the good in it. So in this, I see the good is, is more and more word is going to get out about using fire cider and natural remedies and, and make it even more mainstream than herbal medicine. Because I, I'm just like you, of course, I, I don't have the roots as far back, but I definitely see that there's a growing trend and I'm so thrilled to have a small part of that in people bringing back and learning these traditional methods of herbs and natural medicine and integrating it into our modern healthcare, but making sure that it's balanced and that these old ways aren't lost and that they're preserved and taught and handed down and they're things that we can do at home and it can go incongruent with modern health for sure. And I think we're just at such a blessed time to be a part of that. But so I look at this and we're going to dive into the details as, as much as we're allowed to by an ongoing trial that comes with modern medicine and modern times and companies and business and all of that. And specifically, like you said, with the fire cider and things that are going on that people really you know, need to be aware of. But I think my hope is that the outcome that happens, and we don't know that yet because things are still at trial, that it will be that more and more people will just become aware of these old time traditions and herbal remedies and, and begin to look at them and use them in their own home and learn more about them. But with the fire cider specifically, where you're allowed to, I understand when, when there's a trial going on and that type of thing that we have to be careful. But can you give us kind of in a nutshell what's going on with the fire cider and the trademark and, and kind of what is happening there? Yeah, I think I can. The thing is, is that fire cider kind of went out and everybody kind of created their own recipes. And for about 35 years, people have sold it in local stores and Etsy. And it was, you know, just the way herbalists do it. They had small companies and they might just be making enough for their co-ops or whatever. And it kind of grew and, and people put their own stamp on it. So it was, you know, everybody owned it really. And that's really, as I said, most of my formulas, I just love to see them go out in the world and kind of take on a life of their own. And all was really fine, except that a young company decided to trademark it. It was very unfortunate because all they had to do was change their name. I mean, they could have still called it Firesider, or they could have called it by their company's name or any name really, and then been hugely successful. And we would have all been cheering them on because we all love to see everybody be successful making these herbal remedies. So, but unfortunately, what they decided to claim the name and to claim the recipe. And in doing so, in, in the trademark rules, which we've all learned about. And I do want to say this, none of us have any issues about, at least I don't personally have any issues about trademarking. It's a way that you can protect your, your work and, you know, your original formula and your original name. But it's, none of us thought that it was ever possible that you could trademark a name that was already really quite well known and written about and copyrighted in books and, you know, had been already circulating. So that came as quite the surprise. And as it turns out, you can. They were very sincere about the product they were making and very excited to grow the company that they did. And as I said, none of that was really an issue. The issue was that in their excitement of their own work, they forgot that lots of people also were earning a livelihood. And in the trademark company, you can't, once you trademark something, you have to patrol and tell everybody else that can't use the name. So that's what they started doing. And it caused quite a fur out there in the herbal community. The social media is like sometimes just a, it's a great venue for communication and also a horrible one. So there was a lot of kind of nasty going back and forth about somebody trademarking the product. And I did get involved, you know, just to try to become a voice to say kindly, you know, well, whoa, wait a minute, this isn't your product. We've been making this for years. I can 
account for when it was first made and when it was first called and it had been copyrighted in my books and in my first edition of my home study course from 1981 on. And unfortunately, they didn't, I think it was primarily because they got some bad advice to their lawyers, but in any case, they were unwilling to just make a simple name change. They ended up suing three of the young women who were all farmers and herbalists. $100,000 was the lawsuit saying that they were defaming them, which wasn't true at all. All of our posts were very respectful and we were just trying to mobilize the herbal community and become a voice in the United States. Actually, that is legal to do, thankfully, but nonetheless, they did. And so we're in the midst of that now. We have asked that people not purchase trademark fire cider and make their own or buy from companies that are non-trademarked. Just because the main, the bigger issue here, by the way, is not so much that fire cider was trademarked. In fact, it would have the amount of, it's, this has been going on for four years in our life and the amount of time and money and energy we've had to invest would not have been worth it, except that it really will set a precedent for what happens to all the rest of our traditional products. So we already saw that happen. Once fire cider was trademarked, Four Thieves, which is a recipe that's been around for 500 years. It came out of the Middle Ages during the plague. It got, it got trademarked. Um, so, you know, it's, there are thousands and thousands of these recipes that are very well known and becoming more well known in the general public now that herbs are becoming accepted. And to think that these would not be available for herbalists to make and sell the issue here is selling, not making. We could still make them, but all the little companies would no longer be able to sell them is actually the issue. And that's why we're standing up for this so strongly because we feel that herbalism is the one medicine that we have that's still people's medicine. It can be widely shared and sold and made and usually is generally very reasonably priced or as you were pointing out, can be freely grown and made. So we really want to see it kept that way. And we're in such changing times really exciting times, as you pointed out, Melissa, to see the way that modern medicine is integrating with some of these traditional forms of medicine at long last, I might add. So it is very exciting, but we're also in very challenging times because there's a lot that can be gained and a lot that can be lost right now. And a lot of the people who are new to this field are not aware of some of those traditional components. So that's why I'm so thankful for this opportunity to share. It's important, you know, it's like, like fire cider, in the herbal community was as common as we like to say as apple pie was or elderberry syrup or your grandmother's spaghetti sauce recipe, for instance. And to think that those could just be trademarked is wrong, right? That's how we feel about it. So, Yeah, I agree. And, and I'm with you. I mean, I am a small business owner. I am a business owner as well. And so I understand trademarking and what its purpose is, but I also see where it can become a danger when things that are trademarked and then because you're absolutely right for those of you if you're not familiar with trademark at all once you do a trademark in order to protect that trademark you have to diligently go and if you see somebody using <laughs> your trademark you are supposed to go and ask them to cease and desist you're responsible for protecting that trademark and if you don't do that then you can lose your trademark just kind of in a nutshell from my understanding of it and what sounds like is going on here. But I agree with you when it comes to things that have been traditions and have been passed down for numbers of years. And then when someone tries to trademark that to monopolize and, and capitalize, and I don't begrudge anybody making a living, 
But when you try to shut out everybody else, when it has been a long time traditional thing, that's where it kind of gets, oh, like there's got to be a better way, guys. Like let's work to make sure that this (laughs) doesn't become a set precedence because then you're right. Like, I mean, could you imagine if elderberry syrup became trademarked? I mean, because that's kind of what if one thing does, then you usually will see like a snowball effect. And those are kind of icy fire cider and four thieves (laughs) vinegar and elderberry syrup are probably the three most mainstream of traditional herbal remedies right now that most people are hearing about and learning about and making themselves and or purchasing them of all the kind of the traditional things and to see those be trademarked by one company and only them allowed to make and sell is a kind of a scary thing. Well, it is, you know, there's um, like you, I have absolutely no issue about trademarks. I think they're so important for protecting your own creative efforts But in this case, it's almost funny because all they had to do was just call it Shire City Fire Cider or call it, you know, some other name and take launch it the same way they have and they would have been fine. As I said, we would all have been really happy because we all love to see herb companies be successful. Everybody else's success is our success for that matter because we're a small community. And I, I always use this example, like it's like the uh, Sriracha hot sauce. I don't know if I have the story completely right, but I did go on their website and it looked pretty much like it's true, but it's such a great example of how things can be done because there was a young man who, who lived in a village in India. When he came to LA, he started the Sriracha hot sauce. And now you see Sriracha everywhere. I mean, there's potato chips and I don't know, you know, it's a zillion. There's, I just saw some Sriracha mayonnaise. And what it was is that he never trademarked the name. And when he was asked why, he just said he didn't have to because he already made enough money doing it. He didn't really have to do that. So that's another really good model. And that could have been how Fireside was. Just go ahead and use the name like everybody else has and be happy. But their comment to that, their response to that was, well, if we don't trademark it, some other big company will come along and do it. And we were looking at them going, but you're the big company that came along and did it. It's a bizarre situation and it's a key mark situation because if this is allowed to happen, then that warm sharing that's been going on for really almost 50 years now of herbalists sharing freely recipes and teaching and just making everything available is going to have to change because people are not going to want to share stuff. I'd I'd be a little bit more leery. I mean, I'm not going to change at this point in my life, but I wouldn't be so freely giving out my Zumba recipes and chaga chais and hundreds really of recipes that I've done, thinking that somebody else could just come along and take the recipe and run with it. When I know that it can be freely shared with everybody and people can start companies and do what they want with it, that's fine. But yeah, it will change the, what, the way that herbalism has been practiced in this country and it would change it to the worst. So that's why we're really asking people, make your own fire cider. It is fabulous. One thing I did want to say, getting back to the actual recipe, which is probably what your listeners are most interested in, One of the things that does make this recipe so great is that you can alter the ingredients to make it so it's family friendly. So if you have a lot of kids and they may not like that really hot, fiery horseradish in it, you can tame that down. You can add more honey. You can mix it with elderberry syrup so you can have half and half, you know. There's so many different variations on this recipe. It's very adaptive to individuals and family. My husband's like yours, you know, he's, most of our husbands probably are very similar. He's a believer if it really works. And one of his favorite remedies too is fire cider. He just likes his a little sweeter. He likes his a little sweeter than I like mine. So I just make him a little batch, a little batch with extra honey in it. And we were able to use our own 
bees honey, our own honey from our hive, so that's really sweet, and our own horseradish that we can dig up, so that's great. Our own garlic, you know, again, that's another one of the really great things about this is you can actually grow everything you're using, and if you're really clever, you can just set up your own apple cider vinegar. So, yeah, it's a pretty super recipe, I must say. And for those people who don't have gardens or don't have the inclination to grow horseradish in their backyard, now these products are really easy to get. And in fact, with horseradish, I don't know if it's because of fire cider or what, but it used to be you could only get horseradish in the fall at most supermarkets across the United States. And then it was just gone. You know, it was not an easy ingredient to find, but now I can find it in our local Hannaford's, our local supermarket, almost any time of year. And if they're out of it, I can just ask and they'll get it for me. I think we might have even made horseradish really popular again. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and it's, it's very true. Like, it's very easy to find those ingredients. And we don't grow horseradish. And it's funny because my husband is a skeptical one, as I shared. But he likes things on the hot side. And that's so funny because him and my son love sriracha. So I was giggling in my head as you were sharing that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we have that too. So I do the opposite. They get a hotter batch. And then for myself, I actually eliminate the horseradish and I do an increase of using some jalapeno peppers along with the cayenne because I find the jalapeno peppers don't have as much heat as the horseradish. So that's where you really get to customize it and make it your own, but going off of those base ingredients so that you're getting the immune boosting properties from each of the ingredients. And then of course the increased circulation and, and the different properties that they each hold, which is why we use it for the fire cider. And my husband actually loves to put it in what we do frequently, instead of going the sweet route, which I think is fabulous, like you were sharing for children, or if you don't have that palate for really spicy things, he likes to put it in a homemade bone broth. So then of course, you're getting the nourishing benefits of that bone broth too. So it's kind of like our double whammy is the fire cider with bone broth. And that's like one of his favorite elixirs to drink down. Yeah, that's really great. You know, I was, I was thinking when you were sharing too, that we should probably mention that while apple cider, while this tonic and apple cider vinegar is good for most people, it doesn't work like any good thing. It doesn't work for everybody. So sometimes it's really helpful for people who have heartburn, but it also can agitate heartburn because of the spicy ingredients. And for people who have a really hot constitution, it's not always the herb of choice or recipe of choice. So for some people who have a, just a lot of heat in their body, really red tone, maybe prone to anger, you know, just a hot person, you feel their body and they're, they're really warm. Sometimes more cooling remedies are better than the fire cider. I'm always having to think about that because while I'm always saying, oh, this is a recipe for everybody, actually there isn't a recipe for everybody. We always have to find those things that work really the best for us. But I do find it particularly good for people who are of cold constitution, or if you live in a cold, damp region, or if you have reoccurring bronchial issues, it's really good for that. For people who get um, really severe muscle cramping in their legs, you know, those really painful muscle cramping is oftentimes it's due to potassium deficiency. Apple mm -hmm. cider vinegar and this recipe in particular is really helpful for that. In fact, it's one of the things my husband uses it for because he does get those leg cramps. Yeah. So, and also, as I mentioned, for energy, it has warming, stimulating, decongesting herbs in it. So garlic and ginger and horseradish, all of those herbs really kind of energize the body. They move blood in the system so they can be really warming. 
and especially for people like myself who tend to be a little cold-blooded. Fire cider is just such a good tonic. It just warms me up and gives me energy. I'm actually like you. I actually have uh, thyroid issues, so I'm definitely normally on the on the cold size side myself. And but I do appreciate your attention to saying that it isn't for everybody. And even with the herbal medicine, which I just need to say, those of you that are listening, Rosemary, either of us are actually diagnosing and providing medical diagnosis and or treatment to you. So definitely, when you're using herbs, we each need to know how it works with our bodies and things that we should be aware of. I always use this example, but my daughter has a blood clotting disorder. She actually has von Willebrand's disease, which she has clotting factor issues. For her, I don't actually let her use the fire cider because it does have ginger in there and some of those other herbs that can interfere with clotting. So if you're on blood thinners or you have blood clotting issues, a lot of the herbs that help with the blood flow and that type of thing are actually ones that you need to use with caution. And an example with my daughter, I don't use those with her just because of the severity and stuff of her clotting disorder. Just to put that out there, that even with the natural medicine, like you said, it's great and it's wonderful and it does work, but it does still need to be a little bit of diligence and research. And, and like you said, there's not one thing for every person because our bodies are all wonderfully similar in certain aspects, but we all react slightly different. That's why some things work awesome for some people and not so well for others. And it's finding out what works great for you. I did want to ask you though, so for somebody that does have that really hot constitution, what would be something that you would suggest maybe looking at as a different alternative than the fire cider for them? (laughs) Watermelon juice. No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only joking. No, but watermelon is very cooling in the summertime. You just drink it and you feel, you know, like I like to put it in the blender and and just blend it and drink that juice. And cucumbers are really cooling, but sour things are very cooling to the body. So like lemons and grapefruit, that really cools the body. And cucumbers, which are not so available, at least where I live up here in Vermont in the wintertime, but cucumbers are incredibly cooling. Herbs that are leafy type of herbs, like your chickweeds and your nettle is probably, I wouldn't say quite so cooling. It's actually warming, but Herbs like chickweed are very cooling to the body. Some of the leafy, greeny vegetables are very cooling. And elderberry, too. Some of your berries are more cooling. So like if you're looking for something in the winter that's a nice immune tonic and a good overall just tonic to take during the winter, elderberry elderberry syrup and elderberry tea, those are really excellent. And it is really good, you know, like understand just a little bit. It, It seems sometimes overwhelming to try to understand the constitutions and the energies constitution of our body and then the energetics of the herb but it's actually pretty simple because it's all determined like the energetics of how the herbs work are actually determined by taste um, i think one of the best books that really simplifies it is the one by rosalie de la foray and she wrote what is it the alchemy of herbs i think and it's she just takes a very big concept that goes back into ancient chinese medicine and ayurvedic medicine and other forms of energetic medicine and she simplifies it in a way that's so easy to grasp. So she does it through what she calls the taste of herbs. It's just tasting how the herbs taste. And are they warming and are they spicy? Are they more neutral? Or do they, are they kind of constrictive and cooling? Actually, I have that book too as well. I have that book and, and one of yours and a few others. And so we'll link to that, guys. I know sometimes as we're listening, sometimes it's like, oh, I didn't get a chance to write that down. So don't worry, we'll have in the 
the full show notes that go with this links to some of, of course, Rosemary's books and the book specifically, she just mentioned the alchemy of herbs, which is great. Yeah. And I felt that that book really helped me the same way to identify like I'm a cold and dry constitution, which means typically like my, my skin is drier. And when I get a cough, it's not usually a lot of phlegm. It's more that dry cough and I'm on the cold side. So then looking at herbs and spices that will warm me up and not dry things out further that don't need to be. But it's very fascinating. And I warn you, once you start to use herbs, it gets addicting. You're like, oh, I can't wait to find the next remedy or the next herb that I'm really going to love and introduce and, and figure out how to use it. So it's a slippery slope, but it's a really fun slide. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. So Rosemary, just for those who would be coming into learning how to use traditional herbs and natural medicine. I know we've talked about fire cider and we're going to give you guys resources for that and elderberry syrup and four thieves. But do you have any kind of just like overall advice or a good starting place for people to begin? Yeah, I know it can seem so overwhelming to people. It's actually very simple and it's so simple that it's been passed down for thousands of generations to people around the world. And only really recently in time in the United States, it was actually from around the 1930s up until around the 1960s, where herbalism went deeply underground. And still in many places in the world where you travel, and I'm not just speaking of like developing countries like Central and South America, et cetera, but even places like European nations, Switzerland and France and England, there's still definitely places like India and China. There's a strong living tradition of herbalism that's not been broken. It's been long going. So really, we're just stepping into this vast body of knowledge that can seem overwhelming but it's part of our genetic inheritance. It's available to us. So how we step into it is just by learning a few simple herbs, not trying to overwhelm ourselves. I wrote one book. It's called The Beginner. Um, it's called Medicinal Herbs, The Beginner's Guide that was designed to lead people in simply but deeply. So it's a simple introduction, but it gives a very deep grounding. And I also have a home study course that I've been offering actually since the early 1980s you know, that it's a stepping off stone for a stepping stone for people. It's a basic introduction, a very deep introduction. Again, though, it's not surface. It takes you into the heart of herbalism. And yeah, and the actual practical steps is having a good book, or if you can go to a local class, it's like a, you know, six week class in the evening times. Herb classes are almost always, I can almost guarantee this, they're almost addictive. They're so much fun. There's so much that you learn. Most people come out just enchanted, you know, and so willing to dive in deeper. So if you can find a local class, that's great. And the other way is just to get like 10 simple herbs. It can even be the herbs in your kitchen cabinet because every culinary herb is a major medicinal plant, which is how it ended up in the kitchen shelves to begin with. It wasn't because of the flavor, it's because of the effects they had on people and food. And so you could just start with, I usually have people start with 10 herbs and learn those herbs well. And that's, you do that through a little research. I don't, in the beginning, I don't really suggest people use the internet to research the plants. There's a tremendous amount of information, really good information and also terrible information. <laughs> yes. And it's hard to sort through when you're a beginner. So it's getting really good herb books. And you, Melissa, can recommend a few more, but those two that we recommended, the Medicinal Herbs and Rosalie's book are both great books for beginner intermediate herbalists. As I said, my home study courses for anybody who wants to dive in pretty deeply and go, I really want to learn this and you know, take a little bit of a responsibility for my family's health and begin to understand how herbalism 
can impact us in such a good way and how it integrates with modern medicine. That home study course is a really good launching place for people. Yeah, or the other way that's really simple is just to plant a few herbs in your garden, plant chamomile and plant yarrow and a little nettle in the side of the garden. And, you know, some of those common ones are even things like basil and oregano and thyme, which are all very medicinal. And then just do a little research. As you grow them, you get to know them in the deepest way, actually. You get to know them through your sensory being. And then you do a little bit of intellectual study and you look at how it was used traditionally and then look at the modern uses. And you begin to say, oh, next time I get a cold, I might try thyme tea for that, you know, or dig up my garlic that I use in the kitchen all the time. And let me try to make a herbal recipe out of that because, I mean, garlic is one of our most common and most medicinal plants. So growing is great if you can, because the plants begin to teach you about who they are and what they can do for us. Could be there to teach you all because I love teaching people so much about plants. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, I would adore that. So hopefully in the future, some of us, especially myself, I'm talking for myself here and I'm assuming that those listening are going to feel the same way. We'll get to take meet you in person and do an in-person class and training. That would be phenomenal. And guys, we will have in the show notes, yes, I will link to several of my favorite resources, how ones that I've got started and I found really helpful, as well as having for you in a free download guide, my fire cider recipe, which is based off of Rose Mary's as well, um, and some other additional resources to help you get started. So that can be your very first starting place. And then you can you know, jump into all of these different resources based on where, where you're at and your journey. So Rosemary, just thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. I think it's so important that we get this information out there and especially not just the whole trademark issue that people are aware of that, but really that they can get the foundation and to get started passing on these traditions and these natural medicines so that we make sure that the home knowledge isn't lost and is passed down for generations to come. So thank you so much for being a guest and for sharing. Thank you, Melissa. I've loved it. And I just hope that all of you who are listening, you know, just get to know those plants because first of all, they're longing for us to recognize them again. And they've been our friends for literally ever since we landed on this planet, right? They've been medicine and food and clothing and air and beauty. They have so much to offer us and we have so much to offer them too. So it's a beautiful codependent relationship that just seems to enrich all of our lives. I think that's why herbalism has become so popular once again is when we aren't noticing them and using them, we really miss them deeply in our souls. So thank you. And I wish all of you a good journey on this lush green path. Bye-bye. Was that not just a fabulous bit of information and sharing? I hope you guys are feeling as inspired as I am to do even more and to learn even more about using herbs and natural medicine in our home. Now, talking about starting off points, if you are looking and you're like, okay, I'm going to do where I look at the culinary herbs I've already got in my kitchen cabinet, and I'm going to figure out how to use those medicinally, and that's going to be my foundation that I'm going to build upon. Then if you do not have a copy of my book, Handmade, The Modern Guide to Made from Scratch Living, you guys, you got to get your hands on a copy. I will have the links, of course, in the show notes, but specifically not just a copy of my book, but you want to make sure that you get the bonuses. And here's why. So if you've already got a copy of Handmade on page 138 is the common herb chart, and it goes in alphabetical order through the most common herbs. 
and it has its culinary use, of course, but then it's got the medicinal use for you. So just for example, we're going to start right at the beginning of it, basil. Basil is used to help aid digestion, and it also has antibacterial properties. Cayenne. Cayenne can be used topically. It's used to help aid the relief of muscle, nerve, and joint pain. You never apply cayenne to open words or skin because you don't want to burn the skin or cause blisters. Use a small amount first, a lower strength when using topically. As a medicinal spice, it helps to aid digestion. It's thought to help boost metabolism and might help prevent blood clotting, but caution, and I always put this in there where there's a caution in this chart. Use it prior to surgical procedures if you're on blood thinning medications or if you have a blood clotting disorder. So if you're on, my daughter has blood clotting disorder, so cayenne something that I can't use with her. Chamomile. It's been around for centuries, and it's used to support feelings of calmness and to aid nervous stomachs. A lot of people enjoy chamomile as a bedtime tea. It's also used in wound care to help promote feeling. And recent studies show it can help improve cardiovascular conditions and support immune systems. And you will find that I cite sources where there's actual been research and clinical studies done with these. So you can go through it. We've got cinnamon, chives, coriander, cumin, curry, chili powder, garlic, ginger, lavender, marjoram, all of these spices, you guys, mustard, nutmeg, oregano, peppermint, plantain, red raspberry leaf, rosemary, sage, stinging nettle, thyme, turmeric, and more are in this chart. And it's all done up for you so that you know how to use it if you're just using it to cook within your food. But then you also know how to use it to put in your food. But for specific medicinal properties. Now here's the cool part. So you get that whole chart in the chapter along with in handmade in that how to make your own different herbal tinctures, vinegar tinctures, glycerin tinctures, how to use them, herbal infused oils, salves, and balms. So all kinds of fun stuff. It is the perfect place to begin or to add to natural herbal medicine at home. But the really cool thing, so if you don't have the book, you're going to want to go and get it. <laughs> But if you do already have the book, you want to make sure that you go to handmadethebook.com and fill out the bonus section. Even if you got your book when it first released a couple of years ago, and here's why. Because one of the bonuses that I put together because I wanted that, I love having the chart in the book, but I like to just be able to grab my spices out of the cupboard. And I made these custom labels that you get for free. You can print them out that tell you and go right on top of your spice bottle. So for example, the one I'm looking at right now says thyme supports immune system and helps sore throat. So I know without even grabbing the book, if I'm going through my spice and my herbal cupboard, I'm like, oh, that's the one I want right now. And you can get all of that just by going to handmadethebook.com, click the button that says claim bonuses, fill out the little form and they will shoot right to you. And of course, you can join me at the website for today's episode and you can go and look at all of the other books and rosemary's information as well now on to our verse of the week this comes from ezekiel chapter 47 verse 12 and this is the amplified translation of the bible and on the banks of the river on both its sides there shall grow all kinds of trees for food their leaves shall not fade, nor shall their fruit fail to meet the demand. Each tree shall bring forth new fruit every month, these supernatural qualities being 
because their waters came from out of the sanctuary and their fruit shall be for food and their leaves for healing i think you could tell why i picked that first because it went so well with today's episode and i have to say too growing your herbs and growing your garden i firmly believe and i write about it and i talk about it that not only is it good for us right medicinally and our pocketbook and all of that but There is something about the beautiful way that God designed and created nature that when I'm outside in the garden and I'm touching the plants and I'm watching the soil and the seeds and all of it and the way that it just works in perfect harmony there, that I feel closer to the Lord and Jesus and I do some good talking and I probably do better listening when I'm out there surrounded by his creation. And just reminded of all of his works and the wonders of his love. And it feeds my soul and my spirit. So gardening is good on so many levels, but especially when it comes to my prayer time and my time just being with the Lord and appreciating all that he has done and gifted us. So thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope that you go and take advantage of the free download Get your recipes for making your own homemade fire cider, as well as diving into all of the additional resources and making these long-held traditions part of your family and your family's traditions as well. Okay, guys, we will talk soon. And I would love for you to come and hang out with me because I share lots of daily behind the scenes and pictures and photos and recipes with you from our homestead and what we're doing on Instagram. So the next time you're on Instagram, you can just go to Melissa K. Norris. You will find me, hit a follow. And that's where I had posted I was making fire cider and that my husband was putting it to good use. And so many of you asked me for more information about it. And now we've got this episode, so I'm giving you my recipe and the information. So I hope to see you there. Until next week, I hope it's fabulous. Bye for now.